Our fight to eradicate corruption, maladministration, unethical leaders, and the abuse of taxpayers' money by those in power continues. It's fresh, it's fearless, and focused. The Outer Hour, where your voice matters. Good evening and welcome to yet another Outer Hour. Wednesday at 7 o'clock is when it's all happening. We were worried that we weren't going to have one tonight because the president, well, at least the media houses were reporting that the president of South Africa would be addressing the nation at 7 p.m. this evening. In fact, it will be at 8 o'clock tonight. So we'll finish the show before 8 p.m. this evening so that uh, you can switch over to the president's address. And that is regarding covid and any moves that need to be made by the country when it comes to the coronavirus pandemic that we are faced with. Hey, it's 44 days away from Christmas. Can you believe it? I'm sure the whole country and indeed the world after this 2020 we've had is holding its breath and counting down to the December holidays. We're not far away. You've still got, by the way, and while you're um, hitting the play button, remember to share the broadcast if you don't mind. Uh, what we will do is take your comments on, this, on the topics we've got this evening in the comment section down below. And you can also use it to say hello, say hello to the Outer team. This show is brought to you by Outer, produced by Benele Sanatla. Iva Cleary is handling the comments in the comment section tonight. Samantha Van Espen is still away, but she'll be back next week. And we've got the team with you this evening. Uh, we'll see who's uh, on first and which comments are coming through and what you've got to say. I'm keen to know, what do you think the president's going to say? What do you think? Do you suspect we're moving to a harsh, uh, you know, harsher lockdown conditions? Have you got anything to say about the, uh, the uh, warrant of arrest for Ace Magashule? We may touch on that this evening. But put your comments in the comment section down below and we'll get to them. In just a moment, I'm going to tell you how you can get one of these orange masks. But before I do, let's say hello to the participants in the outer hour this evening. And as I say that, I see I've just lost the camera for the participants. So if you give me a second while I try and fix this problem. We did have them on screen just a second ago. So if you just give me a moment, uh, I should be able to sort it out. And we can get back to uh, our participants on the show. I'm very excited to see our guests this evening. It's another action-packed show with the outer team. And... Uh, I think we got them. All right, let's give it a try. Okay, Stefani Fick is first on the screen. Let's see if we got Stefani. Hello, Stefani. How are you? Head of Accountability for Outer. All good your side? Yes, how's it, everybody? Lucky to be on the show. Yeah, um, all good on this side. I mean, there's always high energy at Outer, and I know that there's always high energy when one is on, on Outer Hours. So looking forward to the show. And yes, all good. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> Lacker, then we've got, uh, I'm just going to run from the top of my running order, Matt Johnston, Parliamentary Engagement Officer. Hi, Matt. How are you this evening? No stranger to the outer hour. Good to see you. Hi, Tom. Thanks very much for having me. Good to see you. have got a lot of books there. Have you read them all, Matt? All those books in the background? No, but I'm... About halfway there. Tom. You've done better than I have. Okay, Liz McDade, Outer's Parliamentary Advisor, is on board this evening. Hello, Liz. How's your week been? 
Hi, Domna. It's uh, good to be here. And uh, so far, so good. I'm still here and um, looking forward to the show. We're all holding tight, including Brendan Slade, Outer Legal Project Manager. Hi, Brendan. It's been a while. It's good to have you back on the show. Are you well? Hi, Tom. Thanks. I'm all good this side. Let's rock and roll. Good. Right. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? First of all, I'd like to tell you where you can get these masks. Uh, if you go along to this address you see on the screen now, shop.outer.coza, then you can get one of your very own orange masks for Orange Mask Fridays. I'm going to hold this up to the camera so that you can see it. Uh, it says lockdown corruption with orange overalls. And then it's got a picture of someone behind bars, and you can buy one of these masks. They're two different versions of the mask, and you can get a cap. I think the caps are only 50 rand, really cheap at the price. If you go along to the address on screen now, shop.outer.coza, I'll remind you a little later on the show. In the meantime, let's get to the comments, shall we? First up this evening is Ivor Cleary representing Outer. Good evening and a warm summer's welcome to yet another edition of the Outer Hour. That's Ivor representing Outer, uh, Outer this evening. First viewer on board tonight is Richard Stroh, who says Ramaphosa is always late. Well, we're going to stop before 8, just in case he isn't, Richard. Good to have you on board. Thank you for joining us. John Oscar says, evening, Tom and the team. Looking forward to another good show. We're looking forward to having you with us. Thank you, John. Richard says, uh, the president is always... All right. Uh, Jeff Scott says, evening, outer team. Hi, Jeff. Good to have you on board. Wandise Boyd says, Dumelang. Hello. Sunny Bonani. Namaste. Guyanant. Uh, bon dia. Bonjour. I've run out of languages, but it's nice to see your name on screen. One say good to have you on board. Looking forward to you participating with us this evening. Brendan Slade is both on your screen and in the comment section. You're welcome to uh, interact with the outer team in the comment section. Ivor Cleary says hello, Jeff Scott. Stefani Fick, everybody's favorite advocate, is on board in the comment section. How's it, everybody? Esna Erasmus represents Cape Town and says a big hello from Cape Town. So the NPA has an ace up the sleeve. We'll touch on that. I promise you, Esna. Uh, Esna. Ben Charles Fraser says, good evening. Glad to be on board again. Good to see you there. We'll run through a few more comments. Bronwyn Grammer says, good evening, Tom. Glad to be back. Excited for tonight. How's it, Bronwyn? Good to see you. Clive Graham Bickett. Beckett. Uh, I see his messages have changed, Stefani. He used to say, when are we going to see arrests? But now he's changed that to conviction. He's very sneaky that way. He says, we need a conviction <laughs> for ASAP or all faith in the criminal justice system would disappear. Would you like to say hello to Clive, Be hello to Clive Beckett this evening? How's it, Clive? Yes, I think, you know what, there's an Afrikaans saying, but he, but he, but he had for words. So I think Clive is only saying what a lot of people are feeling is we, we, we start to see the arrests now. Now we need to be moving slowly towards those orange overalls, which means those convictions. So, yes, with you, Clive. Keep the, keep the faith, Clive. Fatima Dokrat says, flying into South Africa tonight, this is very nerve-wracking and economic suicide. Keep the faith, Fatima. We're here. Anna Kutzer, we're not going anywhere. Anna Kutzer says, hello. Hello, Anna. Nice to have you on board. And if you're joining us for the first time, pop first time viewer into the comment section so we can really give you a nice hello. And if you've got that like and share button nearby, please smash that like button, hit that share button, and let's get the message out to as many people as possible. Andre Hendricks says, good evening, everybody. Please, please, we need to encourage our families and friends and colleagues to tune in. That's nice of you. Thank you, uh, Andre. Clive Nicosia says, agree, Clive. Uh, so we've got two Clives on board tonight, and they're both in agreement. We've got Richard Stray, Esme van Heerden, who says, uh, good evening from Cape Town. 
Hi, Esme. Uh, Kara Rack says, greetings from Musenberg. How's it, Kara? Good to see you on board with us this evening. Anna Kutsia says, what is Ramaphosa going to chirp tonight? I, th I, Well, I don't want to say what I'm thinking, actually. Diane LaRue says, good evening, Altant. Nice to have you with us, Diane. Thank you for joining us. And we'll do a couple more. Skulk Schutz says, good evening, Tom and the team. Nice to see Skulk there. Janine Ward says, the Cyril Ramaphosa address is at 8 p.m. Yep. Uh, Sharish Shoni says, Alta is South Africa's last line of defense. Thank you, Sharish. Uh, Sharish, good to see you with us this evening. Caroline Mark says, good to see you here. Nice to see you, Caroline. Hey, there's Samantha Van Nispen. We've missed her last week. Hello, everyone. I couldn't miss another week of Alta Hour. Excited to experience the show from a different perspective tonight. Hello, Sammy. It's nice to see you on the other side of the screen and in the comment section. Merlin van Staden is on board and more and more will join us like Hilda Mayer, Dani Duval. Salam Alaikum, says Dani from Riyadh. Nice to see you there and Salam Alaikum to you. Uh, Dani Duval. Stian Lodeweg says, yes. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, but it's there. Yes. Barry Grunewald is representing Kleinmont. And Cheryl Ann Campbell says, good evening, Alta. Okay, there the hellos out of the way. Let's get to, um, well, I'd like to know from you. I mean, obviously, it's pure guesswork uh, as far as the president's address tonight is concerned. But I think it would be fun for you to pop your prediction in the comments section down below. What do you think is going to happen tonight? You know, the president is addressing us as far as the response to the COVID pandemic that has gripped the world and our country. People that I've been speaking to today, some say, no, don't worry, nothing's going to happen. We'll stay on level one. Others say, we'll go to level five, Tom. Level five, buy cigarettes and booze now. Uh, just... Uh, yeah, a little earlier on, I went downstairs to the spa and I saw a lot of people at the cigarette counter. So some of us are thinking there may be a move from level one. I don't want to really make a prediction, but I've got a horrible feeling that we could be moving to uh, level two. But let's hope that's not the case. Put your predictions in the comments section down below. Caroline Marks from Milnerton, Caesar Tonkin, Devotion Moodley, Sharon Bryn. Gunter Siemens, Banele Sanatla is on board. Hey, it's nice to see Banele, the show's producer, in the comments section. Let's start with our first topic tonight, shall we? And we are going to be chatting to Matt Johnston, our parliamentary engagement manager, representing Alta at Parliament, and talking about the Parliament State Capture Affidavit. It's an affidavit looking into how Parliament did not fulfill their oversight role in investigating state capture allegations. Now, Alta has submitted an affidavit on Parliament's role in state capture but what does state capture have to do with parliament and why now what does state capture have to do with parliament and why is it important matt johnston uh thanks tom so i mean just let me disclose from the get-go there's, there's some things i can't say but i mean it has a lot to do with parliament and parliament's supposed to really oversee what people in the executive do ministers um, being at the forefront of all that so they had a big role to play in preventing what had happened. So what we did was, I mean, we've only been there for two to three years, really monitoring Parliament actively on a daily basis. And we realized that the way they carry out oversight doesn't really seem to be meaningful, doesn't really seem to have an effect. And so this is a big thing, right? And no one's really looking at this in a very focused way. So we decided that's what we have to do. And we were actually approached um, to, to give Zondo some input um, from a civil society perspective on whether members of parliament have been doing their job, essentially. So, I mean, our finding is in essence, no, they haven't. But parliament is supposed to, in a very structured and transparent and effective way, 
supposed to look at what people in the executive do, in particular how they spend money, whether that money they spend actually has an impact on people's lives. And if it doesn't, they have to do something about it. So, so that's really why um, Parliament matters in terms of state capture. And, and why now is, is basically because you know, it took a few months to do the work, but now is an opportune time. Um, even though the Zondo Commission has been stretched out and a lot of people are really frustrated, it's not really leading to anything. Um, that might change very quickly as the political landscape changes, um, as the, the president has said that people um, too close to allegations of corruption need to, need to start feeling some warmth um, and step aside. So now is a good time to really address a systemic issue of Parliament is really not doing what it's supposed to. What is Outer saying about what Parliament did or didn't do about state capture, Matt? What's, what, what's in that affidavit that you can tell us about? Sure. So, I mean, we, we looked at a handful of committees, the ones that really matter the most for the projects that Outer is busy with. And we, we asked ourselves, okay, looking at the years in which um, state capture actually occurred, which is roughly between 2010, 2018. I mean, if you, if you consider it to be over now, um, which it isn't necessarily, we, we looked at that and we asked, um, you know, have they carried out the, the mandate that the constitution sets out for them? And the mandate says they're supposed to scrutinize and oversee what ministers do, what, what all sorts of people do in, in the public service. And to ensure that if they don't do what they're supposed to, there will actually be consequences. So we did this in a very systematic way and we had to look at the legislation that governs what parliamentarians are supposed to do. We had to go and look at particular committees to just be a little bit more specific. Um, the Committee on Mineral Resources, the Committee on Transport, the Committee on Public Enterprises that governs SOEs. You know, um, Pravin Godan actually comes to report to this committee, for example. It's really where the buck stops. So when we look at what happened in SOEs, Parliament obviously knew about most of these occurrences. It was in the media. So they were aware of what was happening. And in reaction, they were supposed to invite ministers or actually call them to come and account for what had happened, for the allegations that had surfaced in the public domain. We found um, essentially that they hadn't really fulfilled their purpose. Some of these deliberations, for example, the ESCOM inquiry went on for more than a year. I mean, we sat there into the evenings around 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock in the morning watching people come and speak about what had happened at ESCOM. But what had happened as a result of these processes, you know, it leaves much to be desired. Um, even now, the, the outcome of those reports and all these intense discussions and questioning sessions came back to um, Zondo, finally. That's what's happened to most of them. But Parliament in itself hasn't done anything. We also submitted big ethics complaints to a particular committee in Parliament that oversees um, members themselves and whether they actually conduct themselves properly. And we basically laid two complaints against former ministers um, Mutambi and Zwane. And that was about three years ago. But we haven't seen any result from that. We haven't received any feedback from that committee on exactly what they are doing with these very substantial complaints we sent that have, in our view, evidence of, of transgression of the law. And it gives you a sense that politicians are really immune to, to any consequence when they break the law. And that's something we can't accept. So really the affidavit encapsulates that.
and we're trying to mobilize that and get some action. Matt, what authority does Outer have on this issue? And if Outer has any authority, how so? So it's a good question. I mean, and it's, it's one that politicians would ask um, very, very keenly because we're just a civil society organization. We just represent a handful of people in South Africa, whereas members of parliament are supposed to represent everyone. Um, they're democratically elected. But we've been there. As I said, I mean, myself, uh, Liz McDade, Chris Scholes, and a few others have been monitoring what, what's happening in Parliament for about two or three years. We've been observing. And even though there are other civil society organizations that actually watch and sometimes comment when an issue comes to Parliament that they're interested in specifically, we've been watching in general, trying to see, okay, how does Parliament actually deal with an issue when someone has allegedly broken the law, a high-ranking politician in particular, how do they deal with that? Do they deal with that? Do they do anything about that? So we do think that we have some authority on it because we've been present for so long. We've been engaging. You know, we've been actually trying to assist committees in parliament, giving them substance, a little bit of an outsider's perspective other than the very entities and departments that they're supposed to oversee, giving them some alternative information and saying, look, here's something you need to deal with. And what we've seen essentially is that they haven't. Um, so... What we're trying to do now, besides the affidavit itself, is also to try and engage with them constructively. I think Liz will talk about that more. But we've, we've become somewhat of an authority, and Parliament itself um, recognizes that Alta is here. You know, we're present, we're watching, we're engaging with them, we're trying to enhance the, the, the purpose that they're supposed to fulfill. And so I think that, that gives us some authority on the issue of state capture in Parliament. So, Matt, I mean, the, the all-important question is, what can be done? Any specific solutions that Alta has put forward to Parliament? Maybe the President's statement that uh, politicians with unresolved allegations of maladministration and corruption should step aside helps or not? So, the last point is really the good question, because um, even though that's been said, you know, the main characters that we saw active in the state capture saga they didn't disappear. You know, they, they haven't gone home and retired with taxpayers' money. They actually continue to receive taxpayers' money right now. So, I mean, noteworthy people who are chairpersons of significant committees in parliament right now earn about 1.49 million rand per annum. And that's, that's money that comes from you and I. And what needs to be done, I mean, what we've basically found is this, let me, let me put it clearly, is that parliament has absolute discretion to decide whether it acts on a certain issue. And that's by law. You know, by, by the constitution, they have the power to decide their own rules and how their own processes work. And basically they can just decide to do nothing. Um, that is completely their right. That is their legal right. And obviously we don't see that as, as acceptable. So that's something we want to challenge. We want to challenge the law that actually governs how parliament works because we get the sense that that's ultimately our only recourse in the event that, you know, a critical mass of the majority of people in parliament and in government and in important positions in government, if all of those people are corrupt and one can't really hold the other accountable, all of them are part of the same grouping, which is, which is rotten with corruption, then we have no recourse as the public and civil society is rendered helpless. So what we're doing is really challenging those rules and the laws that determine parliament basically being a law in and unto itself.
Thank you, Matt. Uh, let's stick with Parliament, shall we, and move on to Liz McDade, who has some interesting information for us. Uh, and just an aside, um, we will discuss uh, we will discuss the uh, arrest warrant for Ace Magashula with Stefani Fick in just a couple of moments. So stay tuned for that. Uh, and we will also be talking about the SIU proclamation being made by the president is the, when it comes to the National Lottery Commission. Uh, what does that mean? We'll unpack that for you on the show this evening. So comments in the comment section down below. We'll pop them up on screen if you've just joined us. Please like and share this program. That's how we get more and more people to watch it. All you do is hit the like button, hit the share button, and tell your friends and family about it. Right, uh, Liz. A review of Parliament's general oversight role and how the executive is held to account. It sounds like an incredibly fancy title, but what, it, what does it really mean? Does it mean you've been keeping tabs on parliamentarians and you've developed a report or an audit? T tell us more about this. What is the Parliament oversight yeah. report? Well, I, I think the, the, the subtitle of MPs asleep at the wheel is probably kind of says it's a bit more um, in real world. Yeah. But what we've basically done is MPs have a job. I think Matt's gone into, you know, to that quite a bit, but that their job is to um, hold ministers, deputy minister, cabinet accountable. I think most people don't know that there's that separation. We just see government. Um, and so... When the new parliament came in, as in last year's elections, we see they had two jobs. Firstly, they had to clean up the mess from the last uh, era. And the second thing is they had to make sure that this new executive gets held to account. So what we saw was looked at was now where does civil society fit in here? Um, and what we said was, okay, the constitution says parliament has to involve people in parliament in its workings. Um, citizens in other countries are able to do things like make sure that money, that deliverables happen. In other words, find the ghost uh, hospitals, the ghost roads, the, the spaces where money disappeared and not, nothing was delivered. And that is what we think Parliament should be engaging with to find out whether the money is being spent properly. And if it's if if they are doing if if um, cabinet is doing what's supposed to do, and I want to give you one example, we according to the Auditor General there was 61 mm -hmm. billion of um, irregular expenditure uh, this year, or the 2018-20, so the last the last year that they've reported on. Now that if we work it out according to the numbers the government has would have given us 118,000 RDP houses. So people are really not getting what they're supposed to have because members of parliament are not making sure that the executive does its work. And so what we did was actually see why and how can civil society help. And, and then I'll tell you what the findings were. But I wanted to just read you a sentence from parliament's own public participation policy, which they've had since 2009. They passed it in 2018, but we still don't see it in action. Sure. And that is they said that the public should be encouraged to interact with Parliament to provide some form of immediate external verification to evidence by the department on its performance. 
So in other words, Parliament itself is seeing that, okay, the government officials can come and weave a story, but if MPs can get independent verification or get critiques from civil society who really know what's happening, then it would make their job stronger. And Parliament itself has seen that this was the way to go. So this, is, this was kind of what we were looking at. So Liz, what did you find in this report and in this audit? So the first slide was one, our first question was, did Parliament, did people turn up to work? So this was over time, was to see whether the committees, which are the engine rooms, so the Parliament gets divided into portfolios, which are sort of linked to departments, and these little committees meet, and they like where decisions get made. So did they come to work? And the first slide shows that in the, in the um, early years, they met less often, and in the later years, they met very often. And we studied about 10 committees, and then we did an in-depth dive into three of them. So the, the, so the other so thing the, was like... Uh, just a second, Liz. The bottom of that graph that we're looking at, uh, we're looking at yeah. the graph now. The bottom of the graph is uh, 2014 or thereabouts, and then does it work its way up to current day? And then that increase yes. we've seen, that shows that there are more uh, committee meetings, parliamentarians are spending more time in parliament. Is that, is that really what we've seen? There? Yes, exactly. So what we're seeing is they're very busy, but now the question is what are they actually doing? Okay. Um, so then if we look at, and, and one of the things is, are they actually talking to the ministers? So the second slide just shows you, um, are the ministers arriving? And I think the easiest thing to look at is look at the black and look at the red. Mm -hmm. So the black was in the previous um, 2017 when President Zuma was head of the country. And then in 2018, we had a change of parliament, uh, president. And in 2020, the first half of 2020 is the red. So, I mean, you can see quite an enormous change in yeah. terms of ministers actually coming to parliament to account. So the thing is that they can come and they can tell a story. And as Matt pointed out, so what? Um, and so the, the other thing that we wanted to look at is how, are, how does parliament then decide whether it's true and how do they make their recommendations to the to uh, departments, to the ministers, to say we want you to change something or fix something, mm -hmm. and um, so the 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 next um, uh, thing was, so what we did was we looked at this. There's a, a report which is commonly known as a BIR, which is the budgetary review and recommendatory report. Happens every year. Politicians go, okay, what did you spend? Uh, money on did you do your plans and what should you do okay so they make recommendations how do they do this well what i just wanted to show you well did they consult did they have meetings did they have hearings did they do literature reviews and look at what research was out there in order to come up with these reports so what you're seeing on the screen is the and I just the black is just the number of committees that we did and the reason it goes from ten to eight is because a number of departments were amalgamated when the new parliament came in. Okay. But I think when when you look at so the grey, the middle one says did they 
bring in any um, any sources into their reports. If they look at anything apart from the government department, they're supposed to be according uh, to account. So non-government sources. And 2014 is on the left, and 2019 is on the far right, and 2018 is in the middle. Then the red shows, did they actually show civil society? So did they actually look at what civil society was saying and include that in when they come up with their reports? So now you look at what's happening in 2019. So the first few six months of, of this new parliament, they created their reports without, it seems, referencing any non-government or any civil society. So what that really means is that if you go, you listen to somebody tell you a story, you have no means of verifying what they're saying is true, and then you come up a report with an oversight report where you tell the minister, yeah, we, you're doing really well. We just have a few concerns maybe that um, we're thinking of. So this to us is a big shock because it means that there's no real accountability happening here. There's no real way for MPs to assess whether ministers are doing their job. Liz, are you saying that, you know, we hear from politicians and government officials that civil society should play a greater role when it comes to parliament, when it comes to oversight. Are you saying that what civil society is pre presenting to parliament and to ministers is not actually making its way to the executive or to the ministries? Yeah, it's not being used by politicians to actually hold government to account. And, and the, I think the other thing, so that's what that shows, because there's no references in those reports. So that was an objective means of us being able to do it. I also wanted to, to talk about from one parliament to another. You know, if I say we, I mean us as the citizens of South Africa, spent a lot of money on parliament on, for example, the ESCOM inquiry yeah. in parliament, which Matt mentioned. So, um, and that inquiry came up with a, with a recommendation which went through to say there should be something called the Shareholder Compact Act. This act would help the Public Enterprise Department be more accountable. So what happened this year is those same politicians had the, um, or it's actually the, the, this year's politicians on the, on the um, public enterprise, had the official from public enterprise to the committee, they asked, uh, what about this spill? And that official, who we might assume has probably been in that department for many years, said that it wasn't a priority. Now, this is the thing that was supposedly going to prevent corruption. So MP should have jumped up and down and said, of course, it's a priority. Bring it back. They were silent. Liz, the other thing is, yes. yeah. Carry on. You know, well, just one quick one. So the other one is the Mineral and Energy Committee, where, despite the fact that the the, the Nuclear Energy Corporation hasn't provided a proper financial accountability for the last two years, they still preferred when they were asked to cut their budget to prevent or basically stop 43,000 households from getting electricity and to continue to fund the nuclear industry. Now, on what basis are you doing working in the public interest under those two examples? On what basis are you holding the executive to account and doing something about cleaning up the mess of state capture 
and making sure it doesn't happen again. There, there, there's unaccountable. Um, so that's that's really what we were what we were talking about. And the same people, as Matt said, are still there. Now, now the so, re the report the, the report suggests that there's a disconnect. Uh, what are you planning to do with this report, Liz? Well, uh, very practically, tomorrow we are going to go to Parliament and physically hand over a copy, and uh, and we are requesting Parliament to engage us because we don't just want to stand and throw stones. What we actually want to do is engage Parliament because we are about active citizenry. We think Parliament can be improved. We think if civil society is involved in a structured way, we have meetings, we can really make Parliament or help Parliament. And there are good people in there, good MPs. We can help them to, to um, hold the executive to account, which is just good governance mm. that should be happening. So we... we yeah. While it's a we, long report. They may not read it all, yeah. but there's a summary. While we've got you on, uh, on the show with us, Liz, uh, you, you're known as Madam Nuclear in uh, the outer halls. You, there's no one that knows more about nucle nuclear power than Liz McDade. Today I saw reports, in fact it started yesterday in the media, going, well, we're going back to nuclear. Are we? What is, what's the latest on, on, on nuclear power generation in South Africa? Are we going to go buy exactly what we, what we said we weren't going to a couple of years ago? What's the current status? Well, you know, I've been in court for two different cases over 20 years, um, about the nuclear deal, which always seems to end up not following due process. In other words, you can't get it through honestly. And today's, or the last couple of days, what we found out is that before the minister had apparently even received all the information they needed to make a decision, they, the minister in August, without telling anybody, sent a what's called a determination, a, a, a sort of draft decision to go to build another nuclear power plant to the regulator to get their approval. Um, and we only found out about this yesterday because somebody saw the agenda and the agenda said uh, NERSA was going to approve a process. So there's no rational reason for this. It's not in the electricity plan till 2030. And all our antenna should be up. All the red flags are up. Um, and Arta will be monitoring this very, very closely. Great. You've got the magnifying glass over that particular issue, and you'll keep us updated, I hope, uh, as, as developments uh, come along. I think, I think every South African should be watching that one because, you know, you, we need reliable electricity and we need affordable electricity. And uh, what we don't need is money being wasted. Too true. Liz McDade, Parliamentary Advisor for Outer. Thank you, Liz. It's always nice to see you on the screen. I see you've got two sets of glasses there, so you're prepared. Tomorrow morning, you won't even have to take those sunglasses off the top no, of your head to go uh, outside. <laughs> <laughs> or you can go welding if you want. This is what happens when you 
working so much that it gets dark and you forget to take your sunglasses. <laughs> I normally do that with my reading glasses and then spend half an hour looking for them. Thank you, Liz. Always nice to see Liz McDade on the screen, and she does. She's an absolute expert when it comes to energy generation. We trust Liz to keep us updated with these moves that have been made towards nuclear power. Now, uh, your thoughts on the arrest warrant that's been issued for Ace Magashula. You can put those in the comment section down below. Uh, we'll be chatting with Stefani Fick and Brendan Slade in just a moment. We'll talk about the Nas National Lotteries Commission and the SIU pro proclamation by the president. We'll unpack that for you. Uh, but sad news has come into the Outer Hour studio this evening. Uh, a, a, a person we have spent a lot of time speaking about over the last two years is the outgoing Auditor General Kimi Mkwetu. Uh, and a lot of respect uh, paid towards uh, his department and the work that Kimi Mkwetu has done. And sadly, we have received news that uh, the outgoing Auditor General Kimi Mkwetu has died in hospital aged 54. The Auditor General's office released a statement this afternoon confirming that he was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer in 2018. And this news comes uh, less than a week after Mkwetu was appointed to the United Nations Independent Audit Advisory Committee. He was appointed the Auditor General in December 2013, spent seven years as the country's Deputy Auditor General. Kimi Mkwetu has passed away at the age of 54. Uh, all of us at the Outer Hour show would like to pass our condolences on to Kimi Mkwetu's family, his friends and workers at the Auditor General's office. Sad news indeed that has reached us this evening. Right, uh, let's go to the comments, shall we? It's been a while since we put a couple of comments up on screen and perhaps Stefani will answer the first question that I highlighted, which was actually sent to Matt, but, uh, but we're going to send it to Stefani. And the comment from Stian Lurevek was, why did it take so long to charge Ace Magashula formally? Let's ask Stefani Fick, Outer's Head of Accountability, for an answer. How long does it take from the time that you think when you're, when you're, when you're in the NPA and you start get, gathering evidence, uh, how long does it take to build a case normally, Stefani? How fast can a case be built and what is the general time period? Um, unfortunately, it's one of those, I'm probably going to give a typical lawyer answer and not answer the question. Aha! Um, because really, really, really depend on the facts. So um, um, if you get, so just to sort of try and explain what, what I'm saying is that if you compare shoplifting where a, um, a shop owner caught the person um, in the act with the, the, the toilet paper underneath his jacket, you can imagine that getting that case to court is going to be quick. But when you get a person that has um, defrauded a company over millions of dollars and I, I, millions of rands dollars millions of rands you can imagine and i can attest to that just compiling that charge it can take you a month so it really really depend on the facts of the matter but i think what people are asking um and i think we all know the answer <clears throat> you don't need the answer from me i think in, in, we all know the answer um is that the reason why this is taking so long is because the NPA was gutted, the Hawks were gutted, there were no one doing their job. Now, a case can take a long time just under normal circumstances, but I think we are not talking about normal circumstances here. Yeah. I think there were political influence and, and all of those bad things that stood in the way of someone like Ace, Ace Machashula being um, brought to court. 
Stefani, another question that came in is also from Stian saying the MPA mentioned they only charge political figures if they have a solid case. How true is this? Oh, yeah, I tried to answer. I talk, I talk way better than I can type. Um, so um, just in principle, when, when the prosecutor looks at a case for the first time, when you play something on the roll, in other words, when someone is either um, you receive the summons to appear in court or someone arrests you, you know, you, you that robber that they grab from the street uh, or they're looking for you and they issue a warrant of arrest, when you come to a prosecutor, when the police come to the prosecutor with a case, the pro prosecutor will look at that case and there should be a case, we call it a prima facie case. So if you look at it, there, there should be a case. Then a case gets investigated. And by the time that a prosecutor prosecutes a case, obviously a prosecutor should be convinced that he can prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. So to come back to the question, is everybody is only prosecuted if there's a solid case. But again, I think what, what, what was asked is, um, should political figures be treated differently than, well, let's put it in brackets, normal people, because, um, you know, I don't know why we differentiate between politicians and just normal South Africans. We're all South Africans. And just for that, people should not be treated differently. So um, should there be a better case against the politician? No, of course not. You should just apply the normal rules that you will always apply when you decide to prosecute on a politician. And I do think one gets the, 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 the idea that, you know, half-fly individuals, people that are known are, being, are, are, are treated differently than just normal people. And unfortunately, I think that that is the case. I also got a different question today. Um, you know, why is Ace Mahashula not being arrested? Why is yeah, I he, wanted to ask you um, about that because we've, we've heard um, politicians and, and, and officials who are now becoming accused in, in cases saying they predict Hollywood-style arrests. Your comment on that? Yeah, if you're asking me whether that's fair, no, of course not. If you're asking me whether that happens, unfortunately, yes, it does. Um, um, normally, the rule, you know, when, when a policeman, a police, obviously, a policeman can arrest directly. Um, and, and, and there is a, a, a sort of a standing order in the police service that we should try and keep people out of jail. So if, if, if you don't have to arrest someone, don't arrest someone. So when you arrest that robber on the street because he just grabbed an, um, an, an old lady's handbag, you will probably arrest him. Um, but when, a, the, you know, the MPA is starting to investigate a case and a case takes a while to get to court, then you move towards, but if the person is not a flight risk and, you know, it's, it's um, the, the there's no reason to suspect that if you ask him to meet you at court, that he will not be there. Then the tendency is, although there's a warrant of arrest because it's a serious offence. I mean, you're talking about with Ace Mahashule, um, um, the crime that he's being uh, going to be charged with, um, you know, millions. It, 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 um, so you're talking about a very serious offence. So, again, um, it happens in practice that if someone is not a flight risk, that you may ask an individual to meet you at court, he will be arrested at court. And then it's the question of bail. And bail is always about, but will a person stand its trial? 
um, that's normally your first question, but you also need to ask yourself, you know, when someone commits an offense and his own life is in danger because if he gets out, the community will probably kill him, then that is also something that you would you, you, you have to consider. So not an easy, easy thing to answer. Sure. Um, I still remain with, I don't think necessarily it's fair because in life, people are treated differently, which is not necessarily um, okay. So, so we've heard that uh, the Secretary General of the ANC will present himself to court on Friday. Does that mean that he will have to go to a physical court? There will then be an, what, an immediate bail uh, application or hearing? And so on Friday we could see him being charged and uh, bail being, being uh, organized. Um, I'm, um, I'm going I'm to try and take an educated guess because obviously... Um, I haven't spoken to what the state um, or the NPA is going to do on Friday. Just under normal circles, what I think will happen is he will have to be arrested because um, if there's a warrant of arrest, you get arrested on, on, on the warrant because you need to appear um, in court. So um, he will not necessarily stay over in a police station and then be brought to court. Mm -hmm. He will probably you know, hand himself over to, to the investigating officer that will arrest him. You know, a docket has um, his fingerprints and uh, personal details needs to be filled out um, in a docket. And then that docket will be taken to, to the NPA. Will he be put in the back of a van? Probably not. He will probably be taken to court directly where he will appear in custody um, or under arrest, if I can explain it like that. Um, it is a very serious offense that he is going to be arrested for. Um, but I am going to imagine because he is not arrested and kept in, in police custody mm. um, until he's brought to court, like so many other individuals, um, that um, there's probably not a problem with bail. So um, there is uh, most probably also an agreement that, uh, you know, the amount of bail that will be set, if he can pay the bail, he will be released on bail. If he can't pay the bail, then he will be put back into the van and go with all other prisoners to prison, where he, if he can, then pay his bail. We've seen over 100 arrests now, for uh, corruption-related arrests by the NPA, or uh, charges by the NPA, rather. Uh, I look at the number, and, I, and the first question I've got is, how much capacity is left at the NPA? If you've got 100 of uh, corruption-related uh, cases going on, plus all the other cases, is the NPA being stressed? Can they can they accommodate more uh, more cases? Well, you know, I think that the um, you know if you put it like that, then I think the answer is probably not. Mm -hmm. More and more and more, these cases do take a lot of energy. I mean, and and and, and a lot of work. And we all know that the NPA was. Gutted, and that's the only word I can think of. You know, um, is that um, and, and 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 when there was a new, new leadership, um, that they had to get rid of, and getting rid of corrupt individuals is actually not that easy if you take into consideration labour laws and and all of that. But there are hard-working individuals in the MPA, and I do believe that they are really doing their utmost best to you know get all these cases. Um, on the roll. One must just 
also remember that except for the NPA that needs to prosecute these cases, someone needs to investigate these cases. So you, you have a double barrel problem in the sense that your investigative capacity was severely prejudiced and your prosecuting capabilities was prejudiced. And both these ships needed to be, you know, um, I'm, I'm convinced that the MPA is, is sort of on the, on, the, on the right track. I'm not sure that the Hawks has caught up with that. Um, but it's, so if we need to talk about capacity, it's not just capacity in the MPA. You also need to talk about capacity in the police and the Hawks and, and, and all of that. Sure. I think um, tonight, let me put it this way. I refuse to think about negative stuff. It's positive. We need to take the positive. We've now heard um, um, that Ace Machishule is going to appear in court. That's one piece of good news I think we all deserve to, to celebrate. We will all thumbs, keep an eye on, on, on the news to see if he's actually um, you know, prosecuted successfully. And we will keep advocating for the fact that all corrupt individuals should be held accountable. And we also need to advocate for the SIU to go after more individuals to get our money back. We'll get um, to the SIU. We'll get to the SIU in just a moment. Let's run through some of the comments that are popping up on screen. Michael John Billsbury says, "Hi guys, this is my hour of sanity in our crazy world, and it's a beautiful evening in Port Elizabeth." By the way, Michael's making us very jealous up here in Johannesburg. Bertus Devet says, "Parliament's new name is the Circus." Deja vu, says Felice Capriello. Ace will oust Ramaphosa like Zuma ousted and Becky, methinks. Those are the thoughts of Felice. Uh, Gary Lee Jones says, please, what is the address for ordering the orange masks? Regards, Gary. Well, if you haven't got one yet, do pop along to Outer's shop. Here's the address coming on screen now, shop.outer.coza. And you can get one of these orange masks from the Outer store and wear it on a Friday for Orange Mask Friday, shop.outer.coza. There we go, asked and answered. Uh, we've got, uh, I'm running through comments right here. A lot of people saying Parliament is like a circus full of clowns. Chara um, Rack says, we've seen treason. Donnell, for example, this word treason, is there space for it in, in prosecutions, uh, Stefani? Think anyone will ever get prosecuted for treason? One can still hope. I, I don't think we all are sitting here saying that people should be um, prosecuted for <laughs> for treason. I think we all we are hoping for is that people are being held to account. And um, I advocate for being held to account. And that um, if you can't prove um, 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 treason, let's go after um, you know corruption and 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 all of those crimes. There's easier crimes to try and prosecute than, than treason. But let's talk about treason. Um, I mean, I think I just saw in the comments somewhere that, um, you know, accountability is also not just prosecution. Um, a, a prosecution is an extremely important part, and the SIU getting money back is an important part. But are people going to be held responsible on a different level? So if I work for an employ employer, Will I be? Will there be disciplinary steps against me? And and, and for example, the politicians. Will, will the politicians be held accountable for their actions? Because a disciplinary hearing um, 
what you need to prove in a disciplinary hearing is way less than what you need to prove in a, in a, in a criminal and civil matter. So, um, you know, Aisma Khashule, will the ANC stand by what it said, that everybody that is um, prosecuted for a crime, that they will step aside? You know, we've heard that there's combating corruption. So will we see this going forward? And will the people in all political parties, all political parties that is found to be corrupt, please be removed so that we do not have this continuous um, um, illness of, uh, you know, corruption and corrupt tenders and all of that. And um, I just also want to say, I mean, we are talking about very depressing stuff. I mean, corruption, if you look out there, just the amount um, of corruption that is out there, one, one tends to feel, you know, where is this going? But um, may I ask, I, I refuse to give up because the minute you give up, um, there's no hope. And I, I really refuse to think that there is no hope. We have a beautiful country. And plus, may I say, we have an organization like Alta that is supported by so many supporters. We have the ability to have this Alta hour with um, wonderful people and discussing important issues in order to create further hope. Um, and that, you know, do something good. At some point, the, 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 the ship will turn. Well, I, the ship is already turning, but it will really be, um, the ship will come back into the harbor. And that will not happen if we do not, you know, stay positive and, um, and, 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 and try and make a difference. Right, let's get Sorry, let's got it. Let's get to uh, let's get to the topic of the president's SIU proclamation. The president issued a proclamation for the SIU last week, Friday, to investigate the National Lotteries Commission. What does this mean? Uh, and will we at last see orange overalls for uh, any corruption that's been taking place in in the National Lottery? And I'm wondering, do I go to you or Brendan first? Because I see Brendan's been sitting very uh, let quietly. Let me just in general say, yes, I hope so. The, um, I really, uh, we, our team has been working hard, hard on, on, on the, the whole lottery thing. So I think I will give Brendan an opportunity just to tell everybody as to, um, you know, what's happening there and why we are so happy to hear that the SIU, um, you know, is going to investigate this. Brendan, please tell us. Okay, excellent. Well, first off, it's something that is long overdue. Uh, the president has granted the SIU the power to investigate. So just to clarify, not to make any arrests, but only the SAPS Hawks and certain military personnel may make arrests. So the SIU is confined to do investigative work and will cooperate with other law enforcement agencies so that we can eventually see these arrests. Um, the intention of the president is clear. The SIU is mandated to specifically look at contraventions of PRECA. That's the Prevention uh, Against Corrupt Activities Act. So the, uh, the focus here is clearly on corruption. They will also look at some procurement irregular irregularities that obviously include the so-called proactive funding by the NLC. So once these instances are identified by the SIU, it is then simply a matter of measuring what the SIU has found against what constitutes corruption in terms of PRECA. Uh, we at ARTA are quite confident uh, to say this is a clear-cut investigation for the SIU 
they literally just need to put some grease on the real on the wheels and get the job done. So whatever the SIU finds will also be admissible in court. So we will not see a case of backpedaling between uh, technical arguments of whether or not certain documents may be used. Uh, another thing is what goes hand in hand and with corruption is the money and who benefited from the corruption in the first place. The SIU can institute action against those individuals implicated, including NLC officials, to recoup the money. Other than that, we hope that the SIU moves fast and take hands with the uh, other state institutions such as the Hawks, SAPS and NPA. Uh, just a thought on that, prosecution is the next big step we are hoping for while conviction remails the holy grail for accountability. Absolutely. The proclamation states that the SIU is to investigate irregularities as far back uh, or even earlier as 2014. Why are we only seeing action now? Well, there's a lot at play here, Tom, but the short answer is something we have grown quite accustomed to as South Africans, and that's the notion of state capture. Uh, the lines of re reporting and executive oversight is so muddied by party politics and cadre deployment, it's almost unbelievable. Uh, we, we really believe this nonsense should end today. Uh, political will also has a massive impact on holding SOEs to account. We have seen this with ESCOM, with Transnet, SASA, and in all of our municipalities as well. This, this is very frustrating to the public. All we see is probe this, investigate that, inquiries, their recommendations, and then a number of commissions, but no action. Uh, the public is, is frankly getting fed up with this whole process, and government has actually become aware of this. Another thing that you need to keep in mind is the ruling party's factionalism. What we have noted is with the shifting of alliances within the ruling party, uh, some results or the fallout of, of those clashes between them usually play out in the actions taken by certain executives. But that's not to say that this is the case with the NLC. That is, that's just a general statement. So all eyes on the SIU now, they have a public mandate and we really hope they don't botch this opportunity to hold their crooks to account. Stefan, uh, but to yes. be frank and to just... Sorry, I just want to tie in with what Stefani said. Uh, we are very glad to see a turnaround in the space of accountability. This is really a breath of fresh air. And as, as the old saying goes, the pendulum is now swinging back to the other direction. Stefani, what role has civil society and investigative journalism played in getting government to do something about corruption? Sure, I think invaluable. I think we've, we... I think slowly but surely, I think as civil society, we've, we've realized that we do have the power. It may, you know, I think we've lost our voices at some point. But um, I think slowly but surely, we realize that if you stand up and, and, and keep at it, that, you know what, it's our voices need to be heard. And that without civil society saying, listen, we are not happy, things will not happen. And I do think that without... Um, civil society and investigative journal 
journalism, <laughs> we, we will not be, yeah, I, I, I really think it was invaluable for our democracy. And on that uh, positive note, we're going to leave it because the president is supposed to be speaking roundabout now in a minute or so. Uh, before we go, though, I'm just going to remind you that you can get your orange mask by going along to shop.outer.coza and then you can look like all the outer people, outer supporters around the country who are putting orange masks on on Fridays. You can get it by going to shop.outer.coza. If you haven't liked and shared this broadcast, please do so now and like and share the Outer Hour. That's how we get the word out to more and more active citizens around South Africa and around the world. Thank you to the guests this evening. We say thank you to Brendan Slade. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you, Liz McDade. Good to see you on board again. Matt Johnston, we've missed you too. Nice to see you with us again this evening, and thank you for your contribution, Matt. And last but not least is Stefani Fick. Look, there she is on the screen next to Tom. There we go, with the big heart. The ah. heart is my netta pump. Yes. Okay. And I want to I give you a shout-out tonight to everybody, you know, all the Alta supporters and everybody working for Alta. You are all rock stars, but... I want to say thank you to you, Tom, tonight. You know, thank you oh, for wow. all the work that you do in, in this show. You are a star. Thank you. Wow. Well, I think like uh, all of the, uh, the outer team members, we, we run on passion, and I'm very passionate about what we do. So thank you, Stefani. Uh, and I didn't get as many hearts in the comment section as you got this week. I never do. But you are South Africa's favorite advocate, and we'll leave it there. <laughs> Now, to you at home, if you haven't liked and shared this broadcast, what's wrong with you? Hit the like button, hit the share button, and if you're watching the show post-live, if you didn't get to watch it live and you want to done, I know we've got many people who watch the following day and the next day, thank you for pressing the play button and watching the outer hour. To our live viewers, thank you so much for being part of the show. Many comments flying around the comment sections, and I'd lost to see, uh, really nice to see the outer team members and our, our viewers engaging in the comment section. Lovely to see and now i see president sura ramaphosa is on air so it's goodbye from us at the outer hour and have a wonderful week stay safe make some bucks but most importantly come back and see us next wednesday at seven o'clock i'm tom london and i miss Our you already to eradicate corruption maladministration unethical leaders and the abuse of taxpayers money by those in power continues it's fresh it's fearless and focused. The Outer Hour, where your voice matters. <laughs>